G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Vision Christian Radio is all about connecting faith to life. From inspiring stories about the struggles we all face, to helping you understand the issues going on in the world, to clear and understandable Bible teaching, all peppered with great Christian music, the latest news, and even a few laughs along the way. You're about to experience just a small part of what we do. For the full experience, tune into a Vision Christian Radio FM or AM station near you. Listen online at visionradio.org.au or download our free app. And we're going to talk about Anne's book called Time Poor, Soul Rich. Anne Winkle, welcome along to 2020. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm very good, Anne, and thanks so much for taking time today to talk about your book and to talk about some solutions, because for you, this has been your journey, hasn't it? Uh, 25 years where you've been looking at the successes, you've been looking at the struggles, and particularly of other women, many of them just like you, and looking for solutions, how you can re-engage with areas of inner well-being in your life. Just quickly recount for us this journey that you've been on, collecting some of these stories. Sure. So I've been in the workforce all my working career. I'm one of those unusual women who didn't have children. wasn't the intended plan, but it didn't happen. So I've always worked full-time, first as a teacher, then as a university lecturer, and now as a legal recruitment consultant. So I've never actually practiced law, but I've always worked around the legal industry. And... Interestingly, I've found myself more and more interested in the journeys that women face. I think women in particular juggle so much. I've I've got a view that they do really brilliantly at work. They're very conscientious. They do really well at home, but I reckon women tend to neglect themselves, and I saw that in myself early on in my career, and really that's kind of the core reason for the book. You start your book with what is called a soul-rich audit. In other words, you're asking women to just have a reflection on their own status as it is at the time. How important is it to take stock of just where you're at when it comes to assessing whether you are soul-rich or soul-poor? That's about self-reflection, isn't it? And the trouble with being busy, because this book is written, you know, with time poor in the title, I think, I think the biggest common problem we all face is being time poor, particularly women. And the biggest problem associated with being time poor is that you, you cut out all the things that aren't essential, you know, and, and self-reflection is one of those really important things that is certainly not urgent and essential every day. And unless we plan for it, we're really going to miss out on doing that self-reflection. And so having just stopping for a minute and thinking, how am I looking after myself? And, you know, my quick checklist includes things like, you know, are we constantly worried or when's the last time we had a good laugh and do we even know the names of our colleagues, children and pets? You know, how, how much of the stuff that's sort of out there that's soul-enriching is, is part of our day-to-day journey? That just, just reflecting on that will 
help us to think about whether we need to change things in the day-to-day life. A lot of your book, Anne, is dealing with what you call the casualties of a busy life. And yeah. I think you've got, is it 16 that I you've, do, that I you've do. identified? You know, it started with one, interestingly. I read, this is where my 16 casualties of a busy life came out of one sentence I read years and years ago in a book um, where I read that the vice president of Warburg's bank was asked a question, what is the biggest casualty of a busy life? And that got me thinking. And he said, intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. Now, I quote him in my book. I, I, I have a chapter on intimacy as a casualty of a busy life. And I'm not necessarily just referring to intimacy with God. I'm referring to intimacy with people who are our loved ones. But, you know, I was really struck by that thought that we have casualties in busy lives and what are they? So I started making a list years ago and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. So then I had to start organizing my list. So I've divided it into four categories, you know, neglecting the people around us, neglecting the world around us, that's things like beauty or equity, um, re- neglecting ourselves on the inside, things like serenity and and neglecting the expression of ourselves such as creativity. That for me was a big casualty creativity and your next book will have the other big 16 that you haven't gotten to yet i'm, I'm sure because <laughs> as you say there are a lot of casualties uh, to uh, having a busy life how much different do you think it is uh, when you talk about these casualties in a busy life how much different is it for women than perhaps what you've observed about men uh, because women women do juggle a number of extra balls uh, mm-hmm. when you're uh, throwing things up in the air and, uh, and, and you know, family and their children, uh, all those different extra dimensions. Is yeah. it much more complicated for women, do you think? I think the casualties are the same. I think that women have less time because they are generally more invested in the domestic sphere and they are more and more often working full-time or, you know, not just working full-time, maybe they're working part-time, but they also have multiple home duties as well. And I think, you know, women do tend to be very conscientious about doing things well. And that's and, I, and I'm amazed at how many things are managed by the women around me who have children. When I don't have children, I can't believe how they manage so incredibly efficiently. But the thing that they end up neglecting is their own well-being because they tend to come last. And, you know, we, we are brought up to serve others and we're brought up to love and, and care for others. And I think sometimes we can forget that loving and caring for ourselves is actually really still important. One of my friends has a saying that if you don't, she calls it the aircraft, kind of the, the aeroplane saying, that if you don't look after your own oxygen first, you can't save the person next to you. Well, I want to invite our listeners to join in our conversation today and the direction of our conversation may come with some of the directions that listeners bring in their own stories uh, or even their own thoughts and questions. So opening our talkback line on 1-800-316-316. That's 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Your thoughts on being time poor soul rich how do you take time to re-engage with intimacy creativity and this it's an interesting word this serenity and what ways do you feel that women tend to self-sabotage their own inner well-being so our talk back line open 
And uh, callers, welcome to call us on 1-800-316-316. Interesting conversation today and an important one. And let me just take you to who you wrote the book for. Sure. As we as we continue this conversation, because you didn't write this book just for Christian women, you wrote this for professional women in all sorts of walks of life. Tell me about your motivations and 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 touch on how you've written the book so that it is sure. appropriate to put into everyone's hands. Well, I tried really hard not to write the book for Christians because I, I mean, being a person of faith, I've got a lot of friends who are Christians, you know, some of the women I've interviewed, I've interviewed 30 different women and tell their stories and a number of those women are Christians and and that does come through in their stories and it's quite evident that I'm a Christian too, but I didn't want to write a book for Christians, I think that would have been a lot easier, (laughs) but actually I tried to write something I could give to any of my friends, which they would find a blessing and which they would find useful and if they were interested in God there's obviously you know information in that book about that journey too but it's a book that um, I mean it's endemics and uh, it's a book that is meant to be able to be read by anybody and I've tried to write it in a way where no one feels like they're being preached at because I do believe all of these casualties you know things like um, creativity Everybody will be blessed through the expression of their creative selves. The fact that God is a creator is, is ultimately you know, the source of where that, that joy comes from. But that doesn't mean... And beauty is a good example too. Looking at the sunset and just being thankful for the beautiful world we live in, that blesses someone who has faith or doesn't have faith. But you know, ultimately, God created that sunset. So there's a bigger story there. But I tried to write the book so that anybody could find it useful and, and, and beneficial and... Um, hopefully, too, if they're interested in faith things, they can see things in there about that as well. You mentioned your book is for sale. It's on the bookshelves in Dimmock's stores. And given the spelling of your name, Anne, W-I-N-C-K-E-L, it means you're right next to, on the bookshelf, another famous author. Indeed. I was absolutely amazed when one of my friends sent me a text message and said, Anne, I've been into Dimmicks. Your book is next to Oprah Winfrey. And of course, I couldn't have planned it any better being a W-I-N surname. So in the motivation section of Dimmicks, Oprah Winfrey's book, which I think is called The Things I Know Best or something like that, that then is next to my book, which I think is hilarious. Well, <laughs> well very, very um, fortuitous on my part. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'd recommend your book over Oprah Winfrey's any day. Oh, now, just now, to... now, now. Well, I want to ask our guests, our uh, listeners to be part of our conversation. 1-800-316-316 is the number you can call to be part of our conversation. You might have a question for Anne, you might have a comment, or you might like to just share your thoughts or your own story on just what it takes to re-engage with intimacy, creativity and serenity when you are in the busyness of life and a working woman, a professional woman, perhaps who also has a family. You may have uh, all sorts of responsibilities that you're attending to. You may also be engaging with your local church, and there is a lot of pressures, a lot of time pressures. And you might like to uh, be part of this conversation today, talking about re-engaging with intimacy, creativity, and serenity. Let me just pick up on that word, as I mentioned, Anne. That word, serenity, is really an important word, and I guess if you take a little bit of time to reflect on just how significant that is, that's one of the things that sort of encompasses a lot of this 
this inner well-being, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I tell a story in the book about my 50th birthday, which isn't that long ago. Um, <clears throat> my husband is a very beautiful gift giver and he forgot my 50th birthday because he actually had to go into emergency that morning in a hospital uh, to have an operation. And so it was a very strange day. I had to get him to the hospital. I had to um, make sure that he got there. And it turned out that he had a reaction, a one in 40,000 reaction to the iodine solution that they put into his blood. And he, you know, had to be pumped full of steroids to stop him from dying and all of that sort of thing. So it was a very unusual day. And I went back that night and I had my little dog with me and we went to visit him. I snuck the dog in. And I was grateful that he hadn't died. I was grateful I'd been able to work from home that day, look after the dog. I was feeling quite calm. And as I drove home, it was getting late. I didn't want to cook anything. And I was thinking, I'll go and find a chicken shop. And as I drove and drove and drove and drove and couldn't find a chicken shop, suddenly the sort of self-pity descended on me. And I started to think, it's my 50th birthday. My husband nearly died. I've been all alone with just the dog. And now I can't find a chicken shop. And honestly, it was sort of, it was the straw that broke the serenity back. And I was starting to have this dark cloud of self-pity descend on me. And then I thought, hang on, that feels really weird because I'm so used to just being calm and believing that I can trust God and that things are you know, not needing to be worried about. It was such an unfamiliar feeling, this black cloud that was descending on me. I I actually stopped myself short and thought, no, I'm not going to feel that way. I'm not going to lose this calmness that I had. And I completely sort of turned my mind in a different direction. So I tell the story in my, my chapter on serenity because I'm saying sometimes we can actually ourselves influence the decisions we make about how we respond to, you know, the stuff that happens to us. And and I guess I was just well taught as a child. My father used to teach me that God is bigger than us and we can trust him. And if we're worried, it probably means we're not. <laughs> Great thoughts. And thank God for Billy, your little white dog, too. He is adorable. <laughs> just adorable. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. It's Neil with you, 2020. Anne Winkle is our guest. She's the author of a book called Time Poor, Soul Rich. Her approach with addressing these sorts of issues of being time poor, soul rich and re-engaging with intimacy, creativity and serenity, among a whole lot of other big issues in there, is to come up with some 60-second solutions. You can be part of our conversation today, our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. And let me ask you about 60-second solutions. Is a 60-second solution enough to achieve? anything when you're when you're uh, when you're really under the pressure of all these time concerns that's a very fair question Neil but the reason I wrote the book is that we're all time poor and I say at the beginning of the book if the answer was to take a day or a day out you know regularly for retreat and reflection then probably we wouldn't be able to do it maybe once a year um, a day's retreat, I think, is one of the really good ideas for a lengthier remedy. But in truth, to care for ourselves every day, we need to be thinking about things we can do just instantly, in a minute even. And I, I know it sounds almost insignificant, but if you think about it, 
there are certain things that we can do in less than 60 seconds that make a huge difference. And an example might be if we're neglecting creativity in our lives, we can Google, am I allowed to say Google? We we can Google um, an online painting course and make a note or print it out and just sit it there as a way of remembering that that's something one day I want to do. We can text a friend and say, we must catch up and talk about, um, you know, you've got the same interest as me in sculpture. We must catch up and talk about clay and making pots or whatever your creative outlet may be. You can set things in motion for the future and think about how to re-engage with that thing. It might be as simple as going to your boss and saying, I've got an idea. Let's sponsor some local school children to draw something creative that connects with our business and have a competition. Now, it takes very little time to have that conversation with your boss, but it puts into train something that might bring some creative joy to the whole organisation. So it's amazing what you can do in 60 seconds. Uh, You take time to outline some things like recalling significant incidents. Uh, so if you if you actually intentionally decide to take 60 seconds to re-engage with your creativity, uh, how important is it to, to just uh, stop and then do what you say, recall significant things? Yeah, I think that, that's... I, I have um, eight different categories of, of 60-second solutions, and one is remember things, recall things. And I think when we're, when we're children, often, you know, our pure goals and and the things that give us joy are a lot more uppermost in our minds and it might you know when I was a little girl I used to write when I was about six I wrote a book of poems that are hilarious and I've still got it somewhere and I liked writing from a very early age and so for me I always thought I would write books one day but then as I got older that got more and more distant and there were years that went by when I didn't write and Actually, writing this book gave me a lot of joy because that's one of my creative outlets. I've got other friends who used to be great painters. Uh, I tell the story of one woman in this book who used to paint um, and do mosaics and things when she was in her 20s. Then she got married, she had a child, she you know, built a house, she had a full-time job, and she stopped painting. And many years later, she took it up again, and it was just a wonderful thing for her. Um, so... Sometimes I think when we're children, the thing that we love to do is is a lot more readily there in front of us and we can just get some joy from thinking back to what did I love to do? What gave me creative joy when I was a child? And that reflection itself can be the beginning of something. And as you say, you have something like eight different uh, segments of taking that 60 seconds. Uh, One of those is refocusing with a time-poor prayer. Yeah. How important is it to actually bring God into a situation where you are actually trying to re-engage? Well, I'm a big believer in divine intervention, and I think, you know, even for people who don't have faith, when all else fails, call out to God. <laughs> it's yes. one of those things that I think um, people tend to do naturally. So I, each of my 16 casualties has a time poor prayer so for instance the one for creativity just goes thank you god that you created the world and everything beautiful around us please help me to use the creative side of myself that i've been neglecting please remind me to plan ahead and use my creative gifts inspire my soul so it's a very short and simple prayer and it's a way of 
just, I guess, asking for help. I always think, you know, it's good to remember we can't do everything alone. It might be part of what you've put together with this soul-rich audit, the way that you start your book, but the idea of reflecting on on those uh, fabulous thoughts of creativity and those ideas of greatness that that uh, people have when they're teenagers and into their early 20s that somehow rather dissipate when you're under the pressure of having families and careers and and mm. uh, things starting to go wrong. When you think of uh, all of those great dreams that you used to have and and you're in that place where those dreams didn't come true, is that one of those sort of soul-poor type places where you really need to uh, think about how you're actually going to get out of that and, and really a 60-second solution is going to be a great start? Well, interestingly, one of my chapters is called... Adver- one of my casualties is called adversity. It's the odd one out. You, you might say everything else is obviously a soul-enriching casualty, but I do include a story of a woman whose husband died suddenly one night and how she dealt with that sadness and the loss and the, and the loss of her future plans. So it sort of happened in her 50s, but she had expected to have a long life with this man who she loved very much and his death came extremely suddenly one night at the dinner table and how she dealt with that and how she kind of didn't put her head in the sand and try to bury her grief, but dealt with the adversity head on I think that in itself there's a soul enriching element to the rawness of that which it it should not be ignored so I'm not suggesting you know that people's lives will all go the way you want them to go but there's a bigger story out there I think and and this woman's story is a really good story to read if there's been difficulty in your life and every one of the chapters in your book has lots of stories in it and uh, some of those have been your friends your acquaintances over these many years of exploring this whole process of how you actually uh, you know reconnect and re-engage with intimacy and creativity and serenity how important is it to actually have those stories of real people who've been in real circumstances and really looking at the way that they've had the challenges and and perhaps they've uh, come to a point where they've been able to uh, re-engage with that intimacy and creativity. Sure. Well, I think interviewing the women, and, and there were about 30 of them, was one of the biggest privileges of writing the book. It was probably surprised me how much uh, new, how many new thoughts that I had after speaking with so many different women about their scenarios. So I would ask them, you know, how time poor have you been and how have you found your soul enrichment throughout life and what are the things that you've neglected and how have you re-engaged with those things? And many of them came up with 60-second solutions that I'd never thought of, which were great. Um, and sometimes I just was overwhelmed by, you know, the stories I was hearing. I, I was introduced to one woman who I had not known before, and one of my friends said, oh, you should, int- you should interview this particular woman for this particular chapter in your book. She's really interesting. Uh, she's involved in that area of mediation and community consensus. And, you know, I, I, I sat down in a cafe with this particular woman, and I was talking to her about her job and life in the in general and then suddenly she started to tell me the story of how when one of her children was a few months old that baby had died on christmas day and she said you know because my baby died on christmas day i couldn't go to church for 16 years 
because on Christmas Day, everybody was celebrating the birth of baby Jesus. And I was grieving the loss of my baby that day. And I had tears running down my face. I'm sitting in a cafe interviewing this woman I didn't know. And I'm crying. And this is waitress walking by giving me a very funny look. But it was just such a moving story. And I had not intended to tell her story, that part of her story in the book. But because it was such an amazing story, because in the end she did go back to church and she had a really kind of almost a revelatory moment where an answer came to her about all of that which is in the book you'll have to buy the book <laughs> but it, it's a story that i had to tell so there are there's sort of god stories in there that i hadn't planned to tell but they just came out of nowhere and had to be told you've engaged with some beautiful stories and stories that are filled with emotion and this is an interesting difference perhaps between men and women is that you know sometimes we talk about women as being uh, having a, a deeper connection with their own emotions. You've really brought out uh, some of the emotional stories of women that you've interviewed over these years. Sure. I, I think that both men and women are emotional beings. They, oh, maybe the, maybe the, the wild, wild variation in emotions women has might be different. I don't know. <laughs> but there's certainly everybody has, you know, everybody has their griefs and everybody has their joys and, just being able to reflect on those is part of being human, isn't it? So I think that's common to men and women. Anne Winkle is our guest. She's the author of a book called Time Poor, Soul Rich. And you can be part of our conversation, our talkback line 1-800-316-316. For 25 years, Anne's been fascinated by the journey that women travel in business and in the professions. These women often have multiple university qualifications, multiple skills, gifts and talents, and sometimes multiple children too, and they negotiate challenging and time-consuming paid work, much of it taking place in a traditionally male-dominated environment. We're talking to Anne about her book and about the time-poor, soul-rich focus. And Anne, let me just ask you about your book. Uh, it's, it's really so well-structured, so well put together. You can read little bits of it or you can read lots of it and it's all equally enjoyable, not to mention the fact that you've got some wonderful photos in there as well. Yeah. Uh, how important is it to actually include the photos when you're writing about the types of things you write about? Well, to be honest, it wasn't um, part of the plan at the beginning, but somewhere along the way, I, I probably was writing about creativity or beauty, and it suddenly occurred to me that, you know, it's a soul-enriching idea to have beautiful images. So I found a few photos to reflect the different casualties of a busy life that I was talking about. And then I came across this idea that it would be good to look at some um, old sort of what are they called, the, the, the older photos from the 19th century, and then compare them with modern photos which were very similar. And so what I've tried to do is match the older vintage photos to the modern photos, and that was such great fun. It was almost more fun sourcing the photographs than it was writing the book, which is really quite funny because I'm not that artistic myself. But the um, photographs were great fun, finding the right images for each chapter. You even go through, at the end of your book, a process that you went through. And really, if anyone's going to write a book, 
if anyone's going to address these sorts of issues, uh, there is a lengthy process and there's a lot of dimensions. It's like the planets have to align for it all to happen. And, and you've actually demonstrated what it takes to actually achieve something uh, in the writing of a book. That's, I guess that's a part of it, isn't it? Because if you are so time poor, if you are so under the pressure of all of those time pressures, you'll never really do the things that you wanted to do when you had those wonderful visions if you don't get yourself a process to, 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 to achieve something. Absolutely. In fact, my, my theory is that you need to have some 60-second ideas on how to you know, re-engage with the things you're neglecting. And so I knew that for me, creativity and writing was one of those things I was neglecting. And it's very soul-enriching to me. So one of my 60-second solutions was to always keep a notebook and in my purse, and I would write little notes to myself. So often just one idea or one sentence, and I'd put the initials Time Poor Soul Rich, TPSR, because I always knew I would write the book called Time Poor Soul Rich. I had that title in my head years ago. And I'd just write myself little notes, and I did that for years. And then I had a file at home where I'd stick all these bits of paper, and I just kept accumulating ideas. And um, then I did the one of the other 60-second solutions, which was contact a friend and say, would you like to join a writing group? Or maybe she contacted me. I can't remember. But we decided to have a writing group and we planned ahead and maybe I think we probably did it once a month. We probably planned to do it once a fortnight, but it didn't happen. We'd meet together for an hour or two <clears throat> and we'd read to each other. So that was a great that was a great addition to the process to have other people who I had to be accountable to who were giving me feedback on the writing. How is your, friend, how's your friend's book going? Is she, uh, is she close to getting her book published? She's actually doing really well. She's <laughs> written an awful lot. She's um, got a Czech background and she's writing about World War II sort of Czech history around her father's story. So she's doing it both as a history book and for her father's story and as a novel. So she's doing two at the same time. It's very, very clever. And let, let me just ask you about one of the really important aspects of your book that you engage in, and and we haven't spoken about this yet, but this is the idea that some women typically self-sabotage their own soul enrichment. Uh, this is yeah. uh, this is interesting because uh, I'm just interested in the way you've You've, ad- you've addressed that and, and just how significant that looks when you say, oh, you're actually self-sabotaging how well you should feel. Mm. I've, got, I've got a few um, ideas around the personality types that get out of control. I probably Because I'm in the world of recruitment, you often deal with you know, psychiatric assessments and that sort of thing. So I'm um, just a bit of a, I, I just sort of dabble in this area, but I've looked at five personality types that can be out of control for us if we're not careful. One is being the control freak. One is being the attention seeker. One is being the perfectionist. One is the martyr. And one is the workaholic. And I do confess I'm four of the five. I'm not going to tell you which is the not, not me, but I'm four of those five. And I think what we do is we can tend to let our darker side take over and if we are a perfectionist it's a very good example if we're a perfectionist we will have even less time than everybody else because we're doing more and more work that really in the end we need to let go 
um, probably the same for the control freak. You know, I I do have that tendency. I like to see everything is done very well, and so it's hard to delegate when you want to see it done to the best of your own efforts. You know, so so when you look at those particular issues, uh, readers will be able to see themselves in there and. You just know that those are the things that you address if you want to actually adopt a little more inner well-being. Of course, what comes out of recognising those self-sabotage issues uh, for your own uh, well-being is is how you actually protect your well-being when you when you do actually uh, find a little bit of it, even if it's just a little bit for now, and you want to grow that well-being into something that might be something more regular. I, I guess mm. the protection side of things is important too. Absolutely. Yeah, I think... You know, it's good to be accountable to friends. Some, one of the things about being a workaholic, it's like any addiction, isn't it? You find that you might actually help yourself by saying to your friends, I'm trying to give up this addiction. <laughs> and saying to them, just as if you would if you were giving up smoking, keep me accountable. You know, if I'm at work at 10, 10 o'clock at night and I'm not, you know, keeping up with you or I'm not sort of spending enough time with my children or I'm not writing the book I've wanted to write, um, you know, keep me accountable. I actually used to write to some friends who were very good friends about once a month or perhaps once every six weeks or so and say to them where I was up to with writing my book because I'd given myself a year. It actually took me two years and I had, I had resolved that I would write at two o'clock on a Saturday for a couple of hours and if I couldn't do two o'clock I'd do four o'clock and if I couldn't do Saturday I'd do Sunday afternoon and my idea was to write for a couple of hours on the weekend and then proofread on the train on the way to work each day and I wrote to my friends every few weeks or months or so to say I've done this much you know and these are my problems and I need help and encouragement or prayer you know and um it kept me accountable because I had made a resolution, there's a 60-second solution, resolving to do something, perhaps writing it down, and then I had a plan, and then to execute my plan, I needed, I really needed the support of friends and, you know, family to do that. And I think when we've got self-sabotage, sometimes we need support of others, not just to help us see what's going on, but to get out of it. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our guest this hour is Anne Winkle. She is the author of Time Poor, Soul Rich. You can get a hold of that book at Dimmock's, at Coorong. You can get it online through Amazon, ebook, Kindle, and you can also get a hold of one at annwinkle.com. Now, Anne's website, Anne with an E, that's A-N-N-E, Winkle, W-I-N-C-K-E-L.com. And Anne's got a special deal for people who actually want to get a hold of her book, $10 discount uh, between now and Christmas. And let me just uh, come to some of these lengthier remedies. I re- mentioned that your book is full of wonderful 60-second solutions for people wanting to re-engage with intimacy, creativity and serenity when you're so time poor that those things really begin to escape you and become a major issue. Let me ask you about lengthier remedies though. What's, uh, what's difference between a, you know the 60 second remedy obviously is something you can do immediately. A lengthier remedy takes a little longer. Sure. So a, a 60 second solution might be making a list 
of the friends you want to have to dinner. And the lengthier remedy might be having the dinner party. One of my friends did a very clever thing. She had a very, very uh, difficult week and a big deadline to meet, and she was up at 4 a.m. most nights that week. And she'd, she'd planned a small dinner party later in the week with some friends, and she knew that she didn't have time to do the cooking and to entertain her friends. But she also knew that she needed that break and she needed to see her friends that night. So she rang them all and she said, look, this is my situation this week. Can you all bring the food and we'll just do an hour and a half? And so she made a a way to do something that meant she saw her friends, but it was only an hour and a half instead of, um, you know, a whole evening. And she didn't have to cook. (laughs) Okay, let me ask you how uh, you're, uh, because you're available for speaking engagements and things like that as well, and uh, you like to address all sorts of issues. I mentioned a couple at the beginning of our conversation, navigating your accidental career and is your soul going down the corporate black hole? Uh, You get invited to speak at a number of women's events and you're also a speaker at a whole bunch of lawyer events in Victoria. But there's something coming up in Victoria that uh, people in Melbourne, listeners in Melbourne and around Victoria might be able to be a part of, not this weekend, but the following weekend. What's that one all about? So that's a very good example of a lengthier remedy. It's a busy women's retreat for one day, 10 a.m. to 4.15 at the Ridley College campus in uh, north of the Melbourne City Centre and it's a, it's a joint event between the Ridley College Marketplace Institute and my own professional women's group that I'm the convener of, a group called the Soul Food Breakfast Club. Um, this Busy Women's Retreat is, has been the initiative of, of Ridley College and Cara Martin and Cara's invited me to sort of speak around the topics in the book and then we've got nine different workshops, you only choose three, it's not going to be overwhelming, of various casualties from the book so there's a workshop to do with appreciating beauty there's a workshop to do with uh justice in the world and lobbying for change and compassion fatigue for avoiding compassion fatigue there's a workshop to do with um making a jewelry gift for a friend there's one about clarity and finding a mentor so the different things that i talk about as casualties in my book there's workshops on nine of those nine of the 16 and um i think there's gosh about 50-odd women already registered, but there's room for more. And um, it's, yeah, next Saturday, the 21st. And how would people uh, link with that? Is that something at the Ridley College website? Indeed. If you went to Ridley College or just Googled Busy Women's Retreat Ridley College, you'd find it. Uh, There's a link on my Facebook page, actually, which is Anne Winkle on Facebook. And one of the, the really good things about that retreat day is there's a focus throughout the day on planning for 2016, which is another kind of remedy, if you like, thinking ahead, planning ahead, making resolutions, looking at how you're going to protect your own personal well-being in the year to come and making some kind of preparing for that and making yourself accountable for that in the, in the year to come. So it's a time of reflection, a bit of fun and also planning ahead. And, you know, my wife and I, at the end of a year like this, uh, usually we get our own little retreat going and Mm. uh, we plan the next year. And so we'll be doing this before too long, actually, because some years ago we discovered that if we don't plan our year, somebody else plans it for us. 
Absolutely. And uh, and I've I've picked that up uh, in our own family and uh, with in my marriage. But this is mm. what you're getting at: is that uh, if you go along to a retreat like this, and and of course my immediate thought was, well, busy people might not have time to go to a retreat. Mm. But it's at the retreat where you make the plan to take control, so that everybody else doesn't bombard you with all of these time-consuming things that you know that will be there if you're, if, particularly if you're in a professional career. But this is Absolutely. the interesting thing, isn't it? You've got to take some time to take stock so that you can get the plan in place so that you Absolutely. are not going to be so time poor. I, I completely agree with that. I have found that I am much more prepared to say no to things because at the beginning of each year I've sat down and reflected on the year past and decided on what my priorities are for the year ahead. And because of that, I know what to say yes to, and I know what to say no to. And it does mean that you're not going to have your time stolen by things that truly aren't the priority for the year. And some people might find that that's a thing that they find out through prayer. Others might just, you know, reflect and make decisions themselves. But I tend to take a day to pray about that kind of stuff, and I have found that to be so useful. To, to have a sense of what, in, what am I going to put my energy into this year. And for me, it's, it's a prayer, what does God want me to put my energy into this year? And it's a really great way to, to get yourself ready to say no to things, which is important, particularly for women. And I guess for yourself and for others who are in professional capacities, the idea of being able to evaluate whether or not you are effectively re-engaging with these areas. of you know, We've been talking about intimacy and creativity and serenity. I guess you've got to take some time to say, well, I've started this plan. I'm taking control of it. Is it really working? Hmm. Yeah, I think regularly assessing where you're up to in terms of your plan is not a bad thing. You know, everybody who's done time management training has probably been taught to make lists and evaluate those lists and prioritize those lists. Um, these, are, these are good things to learn. I, I do actually think that sometimes time management training can be our own self-sabotage because it teaches us to avoid distractions. And of course, I'm saying, no, no, distract yourself a few times in the day with good soul-enriching ideas. But nevertheless, reviewing your own circumstances and living intentionally is really what it's about, isn't it? It is, and we're running short of time and just a couple of minutes to go up until our news. Uh, And if you were speaking to that particular person who's listening to our conversation now saying, I am a very busy person, I'm feeling the stresses and the strains of not only my work life but my marriage, my family life, Everything seems to be drawing on my time. What's the sort of thing that you would say to encourage that person who's listening in right now saying, I need something right now, Ann Winkle? Oh, can I be really cheeky and say, go to annwinkle.com and order my book? <laughs> <laughs> that's cheeky. That's a 60-second solution, and you'll enjoy it. <laughs> but that, apart from that, what I would say is reach out to a friend, find somebody who you can talk to, who can keep you accountable, do a bit of a time audit, work out where your time is going and look at what you're neglecting that you would like not to neglect. What are the soul-enriching things that you don't want to neglect and start putting into practice some strategies to re-engage with them, even if it is just 
making some resolutions or making a list of decisions of things you will do later or um, Google, you know, Google that course that you want to do or make a list of things that you plan to do. But the trouble with plans, the trouble with New Year's resolutions is, of course, we don't do them. So you've got to find a way to make yourself accountable. That's right. And, and your friend, I guess you're talking about a friend who might be a close confidant and uh, you don't always find those in the workplace. And particularly if you're a professional woman, maybe mm. you're the boss, uh, you might mm. not have that confidant at work. But I guess that's a close friend of yours outside work and perhaps someone in your local church. Perhaps, or a mentor. You know, there, there are a lot of mentoring programs in various professional organisations. Finding a mentor who you trust is a good thing. Um, having a friend who does understand your, your, your strengths and your weaknesses is a good thing. And, and Anne, I'm going to have to pull you up because we're That's running right. out of time. I want yes. to just say annwinkle.com and there's a discount, $10 discount on Anne's book if you order it on Anne's uh, website. Otherwise, Dimex, Kurong or online at Amazon. Anne Winkle, uh, author of Time Poor and Soul Rich, thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. That's terrific. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.